Welcome to Week in Review, where we recap issues and events pertinent to Central Illinois. I'm WNBD News Director Cooper Banks. It's a new time for many Peoria families now living with a new school year. Learning calendar quite unfamiliar to plenty of those families now. School board members back in February taking the leap in Peoria public schools, going to the modified calendar, and a significantly longer fall break here in the middle of October. Two weeks, not just one this time. Of course, it's received as welcome news by thousands of students and hardworking teachers in the district, but there are still plenty of students in 150 who require help from the district, even through the break. I learned more about the fall intercession program from school superintendent Dr. Sharon Damolin-Karat when I spoke to her earlier this week. So far, I would first start with... uh, asking about so far the feedback that you've received as we enter this uh, extended fall break uh, doing the modified calendar school year for the first time here uh, what is it that you're hearing about the you know, the way that families are processing you know this this little bit of a change in the in the school schedule for the fall Right. So, um, you know, today's the first day of uh, fall break for us. And um, before a new modified calendar, it's two weeks. Um, so it's the week of the 10th this week and also the following week. So it goes from uh, October 10th through October 21st. One of the things we wanted to ensure was that um, parents who needed support and some students who were falling behind and needed some additional interventions. We had that safety net, uh, and so we, for the first this first week, the 10th through the 14th, they, they will come to school. We'll pick them up. They'll get a, they'll have breakfast and lunch, and um, use the model, the learning model that we usually utilize um, during summer, where it's a little bit more fun and small group. Focus. So they have a lot of stations. There's a writing station. There's an, um, a reading station, a mathematics station. There's STEM, and they have some fine arts uh, and PE as well. Actually, I visited about 10 sites today, and um, we have about 400 students who took advantage of the fall intercession. Oh. And, um, and, and so we, I suspect we will have uh, more, much more tomorrow. Um, because a lot of our families thought for some reason today was Columbus Day for us. Um, but originally we had about 700 signed up. So um, it's it's good. We're just able to provide that, as I said, that safety net. Um, kids were having a lot of fun and uh, they were learning. And, um, and, I, and I was just also very, very happy to see that, you know, the whole idea for this was... Um, for teachers and our administrators to get some some rest because throughout the year the work is so intense and it's you know they they're just going and going and going and um, and so I, I I'm just really pleased um, that as a system we agreed to give this a chance and I'll I'll say I, I it's made a big 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 difference and you can tell the majority of staff and the majority of um, students um, do want to, they want those two weeks off. 
So um, that's good as well. You know, that's very, very good. And we're also learning because it's our first year. Mm-hmm. So we we actually, I just dreamt of a meeting before I came on with you and we brainstormed next year. We could actually scale it down some to two sites. So K4, one site, one or two sites, and 5-8, one or two sites, depending on, on the response. But we're very pleased as we, you know, we get off, the, you know, get everything started and, um, you know, we're experimenting, doing some action research and making adjustments if we have to. But, um, if, you know, all of the buildings I went to, the kids were happy and the staff were happy as well. Yeah, I guess that this would be just a nuts and bolts inquiry about who it is that staffs the fall intercession program. Is it, you know, substitutes? Is it normal staff, uh, full-time staff? Who is that? Yeah, full-time staff, those individuals okay. who are willing to work that work that extra week because I talked to a lot of teachers um, and it's a beautiful day outside so the kids were outside enjoying the day as well for recess doing different games and I said I do want you guys to get take some time off as well and get some rest and relaxation and they reminded me they're like hey don't forget we do have that week of the 17th as well so um, and some principles some some sites uh We've merged some sites, for example, at CT Vivian. Um, they're a hub for Annie Joe Gordon students, Franklin students, and Glen Oak students. So there are four schools under that one site. And um, and sometimes what I've noticed, you know, administrators, may one may take one day, another one may take a day, or they may take two days and, you know, still get some, some, some time for some rest and relaxation. So I, I, I really like that as well i i would say that I, this is a, just kind of a curiosity of mine i don't want to ask mm-hmm. necessarily a leading question um on this but i'm curious to know if there was any you know messages that are sent home with parents about you know how they can be helpful in keeping their child i guess you know this is a this is just a break they're going to be coming back or was there some other kind of a message where it was hey let the kids take all you know get their minds off of school was was there advice about how to treat these next two weeks for parents any messages that were passed along in that regard i'm curious yeah absolutely lots of messages at the board meetings the last four or five board meetings um there were announced about it. Every principal uh, sent information home. I mean, there were, we had no complaints from our families about not having any information at all, and mm-hmm. we have a pretty large system. I think we're very good with our communication. Our principals at the buildings uh, communicate with their families as well. I have not gotten any complaints. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I have gotten some positive feedback around people one or two individuals said hey you know i wasn't really sure about this idea but you know it's rubbing off on us and we really like it um they can travel um kids can experience different things outside of school Mm -hmm. so yeah for um again a system as large with many moving parts it's 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 gone like seamlessly very very well exceptionally well uh, definitely uh something that we are 
interested to continue and follow as the year goes along. And um, I think that the uh, modified school calendar year is something that so many other communities are probably looking at. Um, thank you for taking the time to talk more about it as we enter this first fall break. Uh, Dr. Karat, I was just going to give you the floor. If there's anything else that you think would be important uh, for our listeners to know as it relates to this or or any other uh, District 150 or Peoria Public Schools-related issue, uh, feel free. Yeah, thank you, Cooper. Um, again, it's brand new, and so we're learning as well, and I'm very pleased with, uh, with the um, implementation thus far. And we're always looking for opportunities to um, refine and improve. And we've, we, we have identified some opportunities already for next year. I just wanted to really thank all of our, you know, cafeteria workers because they provide breakfast. So it's teachers, the ones who decided to help for that extra week, the bus drivers, uh, the administrators, all of the support staff, I mean, the entire um PR public schools, central office staff, individuals who were instrumental in putting this plan together for um, the families who needed it. You know, we are big on choice, providing choice and options, and that's you know that was that was um, that that's that's a good thing. So thank you. Thank you, Dr. Karat, for taking the time. My pleasure. Anytime, Cooper. Students return to class on October twenty fourth. The conflict in Europe continues to drive concern about an escalation. Recent battlefield success by the Western-backed forces of Ukraine have pushed Russian troops back for hundreds of miles across several fronts in an outright embarrassment for Russian leader Vladimir Putin. Last week, a likely sabotage attack on a key Russian supply bridge linking vital supply bases in Russia to the Crimean Peninsula and then on to Russian troops badly in need of those supplies on the front line. Those Russian troops reportedly also now being hard-pressed in the south of Ukraine. All the while, the world waits to see how Putin might react next. I wanted to get a local perspective, as usual, and talk with a woman we rely on most to inform us on these troubling matters of war in Europe. Bradley University history professor and Peoria World Affairs Council leader Angela Weck sat down with me by phone earlier this week. Member of the history faculty at Bradley University and executive director of the Peoria Area World Affairs Council. Okay, Angela, I appreciate you once again taking the time. I will just kind of come right at it. Um, I'm having a discussion with a friend of mine, particular Biden critic. Um, you know, I see the reactions to the news about what happened over the weekend with the bridge between Russia and Crimea and what has happened this morning with the air assault launched by russia and there's i see reactions like oh my god to this is war uh what say you i have to agree that this is war for vladimir putin to cry foul for somebody i'm certain that they are ukrainian sympathizers but it certainly wasn't the ukrainian military that bombed that bridge it was somebody who has resisted russia's takeover of crimea since 2014 and is joining the effort now to help Ukraine regain its independence from Russia today. What is it that you see here playing out? Do we have a 
conventional war that is just being fought and that's just it? Or do we have risky moves being made that could escalate things? What, what's, what do you see? Well, let me ask you to clarify. What are the risky moves that you would call risky moves? There, that's I, I've heard folks saying that nobody's looking for off ramps. Nobody's looking for a way to de-escalate the situation. You know, that's reactions that I've seen among folks who are who are worried about what they see. Um, I'm curious to know what it is that you see as I think happening. Number one and number two. What's possible as far as an outcome? You know, those are really good questions, and I think the only people who can answer those are Vladimir Putin and Volodymyr Zelensky. Mm -hmm. But in terms of an off-ramp, so let's say that some bad people storm into your home, beat you up, steal all your stuff, and then decide that they're going to live there. What's your Mm off-ramp as the homeowner who just got invaded? For Ukraine... This is sovereign territory, and, and I'm not even talking about Crimea or the rebel Donetsk and Luhansk regions. This is the rest of the country. They did nothing to provoke Russia's advances, and when they respond to that violence, it's not necessarily risky behavior. It's a defense, and it is at the moment a conventional war fought between Ukraine and Russia. Um, If Vladimir Putin decides to up the ante, he does have tactical weapons, and that is a real concern for the whole world. You know, I think it's worth asking someone who knows more about it than me about, you know, as far as how a conventional war, who's got the, is there an advantage there, or are we playing on a pretty darn level playing field as it relates to just if there were a continuing conventional conflict carried out by both sides, Russia, Ukraine, and the West helping fund Ukraine's weapons and giving them weapons, would you be able to predict you know, who wins there most likely, or, or, or is that even up in the air? You know, I, I can't predict anything. Well, right, I right, think right. this is, unfortunately, yeah, I think unfortunately this is going to be a war of attrition. Mm. And either Russia is going to run out of weaponry and the goodwill of its people or ukraine's going to run out of people and the weaponry sent to it by its western partners and at some point one side will essentially have to cave unfortunately it can go on for years before that happens i think that the next question i just explore too is the concept that people are floating that that putin is feeling cornered like that's coming come up do you see it that way who's cornering him how is he being cornered i'm not i'm not necessarily sure i see it that way myself and so i would be curious to ask the question about how you see that i wouldn't say that he's cornered i think he's painted himself a picture of being this outstanding strategic leader and a dominant force not only in his region but in the world. And Ukraine was a third or fourth-rate power led by a president who's a comedian, not the strong man that Putin is. Mm. And so I think Putin had drank his own Kool-Aid, let's say, (laughs) and thought that this was going to be an easy victory. 
he believed that the people of Ukraine, especially in the eastern side, would welcome Russia's advances and that they would be, you know, they would join forces with the Russians instead of standing up and fighting back with, you know, old rock, or old uh, um, rifles and, and sometimes even bass and golf clubs. And now they're supported by the West. And so they've got, you know, some significant artillery to fire back. Mm-hmm. But all of Ukraine's moves have been defensive. They haven't fired anything into Russian territory. The annexation of those four um, provinces in the south, um, Donetsk, Luhansk, Kherson, and Zaporizhia, including and then adding to Crimea, are an effort for Russia to claim that Ukraine is now offensive and firing into Russian territory. But, of course, that's not the case. So what Putin has done is he has built himself a house of cards. And the problem is when that house of cards falls, um, he loses everything and risks nothing by taking the next ugly step, which would be the use of tactical weapons. I think the only other question I would be interested to gain your insight about would be how how likely do you see it now that Ukraine is able to, frankly, push Russia all the way back to start at some point, whether that be months from now, years from now, who knows? Do, how likely do you see it that Ukraine would be able to actually push Russia all the way back to its start line? Um, to go back to 2014 after annexed Crimea, I think is possible because you're talking about people fighting in their own homeland for their own sovereignty. And, you know, there is nothing more powerful than the will to be independent. And I I think Putin grossly underestimated that the Ukrainians are angry enough about all the massive destruction that they also want Crimea back. And I don't think that's going to be possible, but because that's that's like the homeland issue for Russia. They mm-hmm. consider Crimea their homeland. But in terms of pushing Russia back to the recognized borders of Ukraine that existed when the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991, I think it's possible. But it's going to be very, very costly on all sides. Indeed, Angela, I think that's everything I was going to ask you today. Your insight is always so valuable for us. Thank you so much for taking the time once more. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Anytime. Of course, all the latest on the war in Ukraine can be heard at 1470 and 100.3 WMBD. Local residents and businesses in Peoria County will face higher property tax bills in the coming year, but not because local tax rates are going up rather because the county will be spending significantly more money. It's one takeaway as the Peoria County Board approved its budget for the next fiscal year Thursday night. That budget runs between January 1 and December 31, 2023. As part of the approved budget, county officials noted that increased property values would lead to higher assessments and higher dollar amounts on property tax bills next year, but... Millions in additional spending will create more upward pressure on tax bills as well. In total, the new Peoria County budget will be around $151 million, roughly $23 million more than the fiscal year 2022 budget 
It includes quite a bit of federal money as well. County officials tout the fact they voted to stay current with their Illinois Municipal Pension Fund obligations. County officials also celebrate the appropriation of those federal COVID relief dollars to help build a new health and human services building in the county. Sheriff Chris Watkins says his fiscal year 2023 budget will come in at about $800,000 more than the prior fiscal year at a total of $19.7 million for the sheriff's office. I caught up with him earlier this week to learn that news and much more. Take a listen. So what I know, Sheriff, is that uh, we are going to be spending more in Peoria County overall, about $23 million more than we did in the last fiscal year uh, after the board approved the budget on Thursday night. I'm curious to know, uh, how does you feel that the sheriff's office uh, fared in this round of budgeting? So for this is my first budget um, being sheriff, and actually it went pretty smooth. Um, last year's budget was $18.9 million, and uh, this year it was $19.7 when it was approved. I asked for twenty. So I'm, I'm very happy with getting 19.7. Um, it's definitely a workable budget. I'm not laying anybody off. I'm actually hiring um, almost two more deputies. And I'll probably be hiring more during the year because of our police contracts. I'm getting a lot of um, people coming to us wanting our police services, which is a good thing. Um, a couple of years ago, a year, even a year ago, we would probably have to deny a lot of these people, um, communities and, and businesses. Um, because of our staffing, but right now our staffing on the deputy side is looking very good, and we're starting to really make some headway on the correction officer side. So um, this year I'm coming way under budget because mainly because of the personnel because we were down so many officers. Um, hopefully that's not the problem next year. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, this was a very smooth budget for me. Um, we've had some rough ones in the past, and I, I look forward to keep working with our county board and um, they're, support, they're very supportive right now at the sheriff's office. What's the view right now on the, the issue related to the jail facility itself? Can you just get me up to speed on that? It needs a lot of work. It's uh, it's it's an older building. Um, you know, right now we're housing 320 detainees. It's, it's uh, yeah, I think it's over 30, almost 40 years old. Mm. So it, it's starting to get the wear and tear. Um, we have two different sections of the jail. A newer section that was built... 20 years ago, and the other one's almost, I guess, 40 years old. Um, the older one is the one that's really starting, you know, we can't find parts for plumbing because it's so old. So I've been working with the county board. I've been very um, very open with them with what we need to do, what we need to fix. Um, so they're listening. Um, there's, a lot, there's a lot going on in Peoria County right now. They're building a new health department. Um, yeah, I mean, it's there's a lot going on, so I, I want to make sure that we also get um, what we need fixed out here also, though. Well, I was going to say it seems like listening is about as far as it's going right now, but I do seem to remember I pulled out, um, I'm now recalling what I read earlier as I was just kind of skimming through the, the, the note uh, from the city or the county um, administrator, is that they're going to take a closer look at the jail situation or or I seemed that seemed to be what I was getting from what they were writing there. What what is it? What is the impression you have about the progress on that issue? Yeah, as they're getting ready to hire a consultant slash engineer to kind of do an overview of the sheriff's office and see what we need, um, and kind of think a couple steps ahead. You know, do we want to put a a two million dollar roof 
on the old section of the jail when it might not be functional in a few years. So I think we're, we're trying to think a couple steps ahead here. We don't know if, if it's better to maybe build on um, and then replace the old section. Um, that, that's what we're going to rely on the engineers to look at this place and see. We don't want to waste taxpayer money, so we want to make sure we're efficient on what we do um, to move forward. Is there a – I don't necessarily know if it's something you bring an engineer in to, to discover – but if there's a feasible, sensible way to wipe the old facility and build a new one, I mean, you know, you build the new one first, then wipe the old one, but to do that, is that something that seems to be in the cards in your view? I'm sure they'll look at that, but I think the new section of the jail is not bad. We just need to update some HVAC, um, certain things. It's the old section that we're really worried about. And that's one of those things where this is a big enough property where we could probably build a new wing, and then after that new wing's built, tear down the old wing. Mm. Um, instead, of, I highly doubt I will see a brand new jail here. <laughs> Why I'm sure. <laughs> okay, uh, that's a soundbite right there. Um, I appreciate you taking the time to tell us about. I think that part of it. If you were to just kind of back up and offer any last comments, I wanted to go ahead and give you the floor as it relates to budgeting you said it was kind of a smooth process is there anything else that you think would be good for our listeners to know about as it relates to how you guys fared in this process this time around uh no it's 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 going very well i i just hope in the future years you know i'm I'm, we're always worried a few years ahead what happens but we're in contract negotiations with our deputies uh we're trying to get them um paid well so they don't leave us and go to another higher paid um department so i mean there's it's this is a big um a big family. We have 189 full-time positions, so that's a that's a lot of employees, a lot of our uh, family staff members that we try to take care of and and keep them here because it's very costly when somebody leaves and we have to replace them, especially on the the officer side. It takes eight to nine months to train somebody, so that's a lot of taxpayer money. So sometimes it's better to pay up front and keep these individuals, these officers here, um, which in the long run saves saves taxpayers money i guess the uh um, the last thing i thought of sorry i there is a specific question i was going to ask about i just remembered it it was of the 19.7 like what makes up the lion's share of that is that payroll and and capital it, maintenance it, yeah it's personnel a lot of personnel okay um, yeah 189 people that's you know that adds up really quick um yeah we also have you know we have a lot of squad cars we have 70 squad cars um so, yeah, it's it's a big it's we're the biggest piece of the pie for Peoria County for sure. Yeah. But we're also public safety is extremely important. Okay, Sheriff, uh, if you were going to say anything else, please, I'd give you the opportunity to go ahead and share all your thoughts, get those all out, and we can jump off for today. Yeah, no, one thing I did want to point out that's really interesting that was brought to my attention last month was um, our jail food. Um, so you know we feed over 300 detainees three meals a day so that's very costly but one thing that's really interesting is we were doing the numbers um from january to june of last year compared to january june of this year our food costs went up 48 percent so when you talk about and you hear about inflation gas and food we really see it here i mean 48 percent increase which equals out to an extra hundred thousand dollars wow um, we're paying extra for food That's crazy. Inflation really, it does hit us. Bradley University basketball is nearly here once again. 
Enough said. I caught up with men's head coach Brian Wardle this week. We have begun preparations for the next season. It'll be long. Um, tell us what it is that the team's up to uh, kind of as we get into October now and uh, get closer to the season. What have you guys, uh, guys kind of transitioned to now? Well, you, you, you know, start a regular practice kind of like training camp a little bit because you've got 20 hours a week that you can be in the gym, in the weight room, and film. So, um, you know, you're really bringing the team together. It's all about team, team, team. I, I, yeah, for a coach, I, I know that, that like all the coaches that I ever dealt with felt the same way, that this is the time where the team is forged, right? Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Talk to me all about all the different ways, all the different important things that happen that forge the team as this process gets underway. Well, you you know you really don't come together as a group until you go through some adversity. True. And true. We try to we try to create adversity in the off season, but it's not like long practice days, exhibition games, games, and so that's what coming together is all about. Is you, you really come come together through the struggles, not through the positive winning all the time. We yeah. can hide a lot of things, as the old saying is true. So this is kind of why we try to create some adversity, um, some organized chaos at times to try to get our group together, to get our leadership on board, to get our players talking and holding each other accountable, um, and to build that unity off the court um, so that when they leave this building, they are uh, trusting each other and, and united on and off the court. And, and it takes a lot of reps. It takes a lot of uh, days to do that and as much as we build off the court things in connections in the off season there's nothing like when practice starts like this year around here for the next month you build these individuals into a team i'm curious to know how many new faces you have to add into a mix of uh program guys that you already had um in the fold Uh, what does that mix look like this time around um I like the mix a lot right now. I think anytime you're recruiting and building a, a team each year and a program, is you're putting a puzzle together. Every piece of the puzzle is a different shape. And so you try to bring guys in that add value to your team, and, and, and they personally know they have value to the team so that they have an opportunity to play. And I love the four guys we brought in. So we have nine returning scholarship guys, 11 with our walk-ons, which is critical. I always talk about my walk-ons because I got two, three great ones, but two back mm-hmm. from last year that just help our culture, help our standards, help our energy every day. And when you can bring, I think, nine scholarship, 10, 11 guys back from the year before in today's portal days, it's a huge advantage. And we're really trying to capitalize on that. But we brought four good ones in, high-character kids that fit our culture, fit in our locker room. And I think are going to really help us. And that's, you know, Cody Duke Dean, James Pop Weathers, Gornar Bailey, and, and Christian Davis. And those four have kind of fit seamlessly into our locker room already. Uh, always encouraging for any fan to hear a thing like that because it's the portal guys that could come in and, you know, maybe be a little bit harder to get buy-in from perhaps. I don't know, maybe you have more to say about a thing like that. But my next question was going to be, uh, and you led me right into it, is – here we are in the in the age of the portal. How's that going? Would you say? Um, it's still, you know, it's, it's changed the dynamic of college coaching. 
it's different the last couple of years for sure. But, you know, you adapt and, and you know, make excuses and you figure out how do I help Bradley? How do I help our program the best with recruiting the portal? And I think we've kind of, it, t- it takes you a little bit of experience to understand it all, but I think we got a better feel as a staff of what we want to recruit and how we're going to recruit the portal and transfers moving forward. And All right. Well, I was going to transition a little ball here. Uh, you look at this team. I'm curious to know from your perspective, uh, are they going to be able to hit their free throws? Yeah, well, hopefully. Hopefully. We've uh, we, we've always worked hard on that, and we'll continue. And good. so far, so good. They've been doing that. So hopefully. What is it that you would say, um, you know, in your review right now that uh, uh, looking at them before they get go, you know, get cracking on, uh, I think, probably incorporating some more of your approaches and ideas and becoming more of a team running your system? Uh, what do we got? We got a lot of shooters. We got, uh, you know, how does how does it look? Where, where do you think we might be strong uh, either on on one end of the court or the other at, the, at this point? I think our three-point shooting should be pretty good. I, I, I think I can put four guys on the floor at all times. I can shoot it, which is nice to have the versatility. Mm-hmm. Um, the length that we have is, is always good. Um, I think we should be hopefully defensively and rebounding at the top like we always are um, because that gives us a chance. When our defense can outlast our offense, it gives us a chance in every game. But I, I, I'm hoping the number one thing, we just got to take care of the basketball better than last year. Last yeah. year. We did, we did a lot of good things offensively, but turnovers was something that really, you know, bit us in the rear end and at end of games and, and, and hurt us in a lot of games. So I think we can be, uh, if we can improve in that area, that will be huge for us. But the offensive rebounding, three point shooting, um, the ability to defend and rebound is, is, should be there with this group as it has been. I know that, and I'll just drill down on the idea about turnovers, just, just, for the sake of it, because I love talking ball, but it is uh, is there's a lot that goes into that, and there's plenty of chance and bad bounces and things that kind of are baked into your turnovers uh, and to your turnover margin and everything like that. There's there's maybe only a limited amount of control, but what are the what are the things that you teach the guys that are key in in controlling that situation of, of holding on to the ball. You talk to us, talk to me a little bit about those things. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's trust your instincts. So you don't want any, if you hesitate, that's probably going to lead to a bad shot or a turnover. Mm-hmm. So trust your instincts and then make aggressive turnovers, not tentative turnovers and tentative turnovers are like not trusting your instincts, not, um, being hesitant at throwing the ball inside in the post when the guy's got him on his back and sealed. Mm-hmm. You know, you you got to be decisive and make quick decisions. So decision-making plays a huge factor, obviously, in turnovers. And you try to put them in situations in practice where there's decision-making involved and are they making the quick right decision at the right moment. And I think that's the hardest thing about making jumps up in sports when you go from high school to college or you go JUCO to Division One Missouri Valley or you transfer – from a low major to our league, the Missouri Valley, is that you got to make quick decisions, decisive decisions, and decision-making is critical to winning in that league. And so I, I, we try to really just put them in positions, teach them, watch film, and talk about it a lot as we practice now. It, 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 I remember in my experience where it becomes, well, depending upon practice, right, is it becomes less decision and more just reaction. Like this – 
this is this way, so I do this kind of a thing is what it ends up uh, kind of turning into. I may be way off base there, but there's my thought mm-hmm. on it. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, Coach, thank you for spending the time. That's all the questions I had for you. If you had anything else to add about, you know, hey, man, when are we going to start playing? Uh, when should we start getting pretty darn real, real, real excited? I think we've got non-conference games starting here before long. Go ahead and give me all the nuts and bolts on that. Yeah, we uh, we have our first exhibition game and November 2nd we get to play Illinois Wesleyan it's coming to Harbor Arena and uh, that would be a fun game because we have I don't think Bradley's played Wesleyan in a long time and after that November 2nd game we have a we open up against Wisconsin Parkside and on a division two team that's a really good program on November 7th night so uh, you know it's kind of all kicking off and then October 15th Bradley we have our red and white showcase on October 15th yeah and that's just a Saturday night where they can come out and just get a look at the team three-point contest, dunk contest, all that fun stuff that we're going to showcase with our women's program. Uh, so nice. it's, it's, ha- it's happening fast. It's unbelievable how quick it came, and, and I know October always flies by, so we'll be at Gamester soon at Carver. That does it for this edition of Week in Review. Join us at this time next week on this Midwest 360 station for another recap of some of the biggest issues and events in central Illinois. You don't have to wait for Week in Review to get the lowdown on what's happening in central Illinois for instant news 24-7. Follow us at 1470 WNBD on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Cooper Banks, WNBD News.